Welcome to episode 146 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, thank you for joining us. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. I'm joined today by Michael Vadis, formerly with the FBI and the Justice Department, uh, now in our New York office, by Stephanie Roy, uh, in our telecom practice, uh, by Maury Schenk, uh, who um, ran our London office and has moved on to uh, uh, do a host of things that are more interesting than being a lawyer, such as advising on the European technology and private equity investments and directing technology companies, but still comes back to talk cyber with us. Uh, and I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with the NSA and DHS and the record holder for returning to step out to practice law more times than any other lawyer. And I think you'll be delighted to hear we have our first uh, live listener feedback. Uh, session uh, toward the end of the podcast. So, a lot to talk about. Uh, why don't we jump in? Uh, uh, Donald Trump has said he wants to get the Defense Department more heavily involved in defending cyberspace, including our critical infrastructure. And uh, uh, there have been a host of people melting down over the idea that that violates the 1878 Posse Comitatus Act, which said you can't use uh, uh, the uh, uh, armed forces uh, to uh, carry out uh, a variety of civilian functions, uh, uh, such as putting down riots and uh, uh, the like. Uh, um, I, I used to joke that Posse Comitatus was uh, um, Latin for we don't want to do it uh, because it was always invoked by the Defense Department when they didn't want to do something. Uh, uh, but now I wonder if it doesn't stand for Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, is there, uh, Michael, is there any reason why uh, uh, DOD, NSA can't provide support to DHS or to private companies in defending themselves in cyberspace? Well, there are certainly limits on what they can do, but I think the Posse Comitatus Act is, is often rolled out, not, not just when DOD doesn't want to do something, but when others uh, don't want DOD to uh, intrude on what they consider their their turf. And, and that's what I think is going on here. This isn't Trump derangement syndrome. This is DHS, uh, largely DHS, trying to protect its turf as, as what it sees, you know, it sees itself as the, the lead agency for protecting cybersecurity of, of the United States. Um, and I, but, but, uh, you know, I think as you're, as you're suggesting that the act is often just the, the scope of it is, is grossly exaggerated many times. Um, you know, DOD can't engage in domestic uh, law enforcement activity directly, but it, but it can certainly provide support. It can certainly have responsibilities to, to collect intelligence on, uh, you know, malware coming into the United States from abroad and, and things like that. Um, so, and the bottom line is we don't know what Trump's plan is. All he has said is he wants the Defense Department to play a, a bigger role in, in cybersecurity. That, that's, that's pretty general. Yep, I, I think that's right. So um, my guess, Posse Comitatus, it's just a talking point for people who uh, uh, hope that uh, uh, what he said in his tweet never happens. Uh, uh, and, yeah, you may be right that it's a, uh, it's DHS raising it. Uh, okay, um, uh, another I- I thing that came out uh, uh, last week uh, 
um, in a case that uh, I'm involved in is the FDA announced that St. Jude's uh, um, Medical, and it's now part of Abbott Labs, uh, uh, was going to be fixing a cybersecurity flaw that DHS attributed to uh, uh, MedSec's uh, research program, the identification of it. Uh, um, and so... Um, it, Three or four interesting things about this announcement. Uh, first, it came like two days after the successful closing of the transaction, which makes you wonder, was the, tra- was the timing of the announcement chosen to come after the uh, um, closing of the deal? Uh, and it appears that that would have been possible because the uh, uh, FDA and DHS have said, we're only going to announce these flaws after we get a fix from the manufacturer. So it was up to St. Jude to decide when it had a fix that it was willing to take back to the regulators. Uh, And maybe it's a coincidence, maybe it isn't, that they uh, came back two days after they had gotten everything they wanted out of the transaction. Uh, And I think, you know, for the future, it raises this question. Uh, MedSec had identified multiple problems with St. Jude's product. Uh, uh, from a security point of view, this fix is one of them, but by no means the only one or maybe n- uh, not even the most serious one, which means there are probably others in the queue that have to be fixed but haven't been announced because St. Jude doesn't have a fix for them. And that really raises the question whether the FDA should should follow this policy of saying, we're not going to tell patients, even though they're getting these things stuck into their chests every day, that there, there is a known security flaw until we have a way to fix it. And, you know, if that way to fix it involves uh, taking, you know, opening the patient up and taking the implant out, I'm not sure they've done the patients a lot of favors. Uh, so it'll be interesting whether the FDA sticks to this policy of withholding information from uh, um, patients on the ground that they don't think it's serious enough for a recall yet, and therefore they aren't going to tell anybody what's going on. So that's the uh, uh, the news in uh, uh, the Internet of Things That Will Kill You. Um, FCC privacy news. Um, uh, the... Uh, there have been some developments there. The uh, I think I, I gave a shout-out or a, a reluctant uh, acknowledgement that the Cable Association had said nice things about the FTC and nasty things about the FCC privacy uh, uh, regs. What's going on there now, Stephanie? Well, the rules are now effective. Okay. Uh, they were effective January 3rd following um, their publication in the Federal Register early in December. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're here to stay. And uh, there's this open question on whether or not uh, Congress will use the Congressional Review Act to uh, roll them back. They, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about the use of the Congressional Review Act. It's only been successfully used once before to overturn a regulation. In essence, it says... But boy, if, if there were ever a time when it was likely to be used, it is now ever is it. a time. I, I, I just read this is the first administration, incoming Republican administration, to have control of both houses of Congress in 88 years. Whoa. So uh, these are interesting times. So the Congressional Review Act says basically any 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 rule that becomes finalized within 60 session days of the end of the session 
The next Congress also gets 60 session days. Session days, not calendar days, yeah. not business days, session days. Oh, and, and they're in session like a, a two days a week. Yeah, to review it. So any uh, rule uh, finalized in the last half of of 2016 is really kind of up for grabs here. Oh, I, you know, I'm, is, I'm guessing there's going to be an omnibus that says it's all bad. We'll, we'll kill them all and let God sort them out later. That is an open question, actually, whether or not that's valid use of the act, because the act prescribes how the joint resolution has to proceed. Ooh. So it's going to be interesting. Okay. And the question is, if they successfully use the Congressional Review Act to uh, disapprove of the ISP privacy rules, what happens then? Because you may recall about mid-last year, the second half of last year, the Ninth Circuit issued a decision saying the FTC could not uh, go after AT&T right. for Be- its uh, broadband disclosure practices because the FCC had now classified AT&T as a common carrier in its business, a broadband service as a common carrier service. And the Ninth Circuit held that this precluded the FTC from going after AT&T's behavior with respect to their broadband service even before the FCC reclassified them as as common carrier. So if the privacy rules are over disapproved by Congress and but AT&T's broadband service remains a common carrier service because yeah, as both, you both may recall right, which means the, there's no there's no privacy regulation no until privacy somebody does breaks. something well there are some moderate modest things that existed at via right. the FCC before they passed yeah, the more expansive I, I, I think that's the, the outcome uh, and uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, Congress and, and and my memory is that if they use this authority, the bureaucracy is not allowed to go back. That's a, correct. A, they cannot the, promulgate substantially similar rules. Not that a congressional FCC, right. I mean, a Republican FCC, would do so. But the question is, it there's a relative no man's land between a do- joint resolution disapproval and such time as the FCC or through congressional action reclassifies broadband service if that happens. And that's a year or more. Right, that'll take forever. We we doubt very much that the resources in Congress exist to to focus specifically on that reclassification in the near term, at least. They have a very full agenda. So it will be interesting to see to what extent – the Review Act is used, and on what regulations? Um, some think that this is too far down the list to grab their attention. Others think maybe not so much, given the type of players involved. Yeah, AT and T's and Verizon's of the world. Right, and to be able to say you overturned uh, Wheeler's regulations probably would appeal as well. Uh, okay, uh, that'll be uh, fun to watch. Uh, you know, uh, let's sell popcorn. Uh, all right, uh, Europe. Uh, uh, nothing really surprising in, in Europe, but uh, uh, Vera Jourova, uh, uh, who is uh, head of uh, uh, actually, what is she? She's uh, justice commissioner. Which commissioner? The justice commissioner. Justice. That's right. She has said she isn't satisfied with the Obama administration's explanation of what the government did when it ordered Yahoo to search for certain identifiers and 
provide communications that contain those identifiers. That's my impression of, of the order. The order is classified, and so we're, we're uh, looking through a glass darkly. Uh, uh, and the presumptive argument uh, on Europe's part is that sounds a lot like bulk um, searching, even if the searching is done by Yahoo uh, rather than the U.S. government. Uh, um, although everything that was supposed to be signed has been signed, uh, and uh, so it's not clear whether her leverage is simply I won't say nice things about you in the first review of the uh, Privacy Shield or something else. Well, I think, um, the, you know, we saw the safe harbor was vulnerable and the Privacy Shield is not invulnerable. And it's set up a much more detailed cooperation process for talking about uh, the extent of U.S. surveillance. And so if the Justice Commissioner is saying the, the U.S. isn't giving persuasive answers, although she did not nod to U.S. national security interests in keeping back details, um, then, you know, that those circumstances could make it more difficult for the privacy shield going forward, not just in a formal review process. Yeah, I There think- may be ECGA challenges, there may be individual data protection authorities that block it, etc., this is a this is a risky time to be making um, uh, uh, to be drawing lines in the sand. I think uh, she does not know where the Trump administration is going to come out. They may just say, "Stuff it. We're not interested in talking to uh, uh, the European Union on this." Uh, um, and uh, uh, it's it's obvious that the president elect is uh, not a big fan of the EU, uh, and uh, consequently. Uh, uh, where the Trump, where the uh, Obama administration would have rushed to accommodate her, or at least uh, in terms of uh, meetings and the like, uh, uh, I think um, she may have guessed wrong about the likely impact on the uh, Trump administration of, of this kind of complaint. But we'll see. Well, I mean, she wasn't. She didn't draw a line in the sand. She. It was a nuanced response, but I. There probably wasn't enough softness to, to satisfy the Trump administrations, which is, you know, anything short of, well, I, I won't say what would satisfy Trump and his gang, but um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Come on, now, now they, they, reasonable people can 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 take the view that the EU is overdoing things, uh, or at least I can. Uh, well, uh, we have a reasonable premise. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, and Germany has been watching the our election and saying, "Wow, you know, uh, uh, next target up is Angela Merkel. Uh, uh, what are they going to try to do to to uh, hang on to uh, uh, to power in the face of a?" Um, uh, Russian-supported insurgency on the right. Yeah, I, I read an interesting article just the last couple of days, I think it was in The Economist, that Putin's plan is not wasn't necessarily to help elect Trump, but just to undermine the credibility of Western election processes in general. Well, I and, think that's right. You know, I think that's where he started. Uh, probably by the end, he was pretty fond of uh, Trump as well. But uh, no, I think you're right. Uh, I mean, in 2000. 12, he was supporting uh, Occupy Wall Street. Uh, uh, so yeah. it's not it's not ideological here. It's uh, uh, whatever uh, whatever movement can put people in the street that raises questions about the, the legitimacy of the government. Yeah. So so what's happened is in May 2015, you know, more than a year and a half ago, 
it was discovered that 20,000 computers in the German parliament had been hacked, and it was traced to APT28, which is the same Russian-affiliated, we believe, outfit that hacked the DNC. Right. And so German, um, you know, various politicians in Germany are now saying, well, what are we going to do to protect our elections? It may be that the barn door is open and the courses are already in the next county, because if they got a lot of damaging data in that hack some time ago, they may leak it out via WikiLeaks and otherwise over the course of the election. Yep. Um, so it's, it's a little hard to see what they will do, although there's been some talk about restricting what they could, uh, what can be posted on Facebook, which is, of course, an important platform, but there are lots of other outlets for these things. Wow. And, and I assume that, that the um, German government wouldn't go so far as to say um, if it's leaked in that fashion, it's, it's like contraband and can't be linked to, can't be posted, uh, that that's probably a bridge too far for the, for the government. Yeah, I mean, the talk has been, you know, restricting fake news, but, you know, and there's been noise about that in Europe. And I think smart people who think about this realize you can't draw a line between fake news and exaggeration and, and the real thing. So I think they're going to have a even if they try to, they're going to have a hard time restricting access to true information that's been leaked. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. These kind of um, leaks are just going to become more and more common, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, uh, two more uh, s- uh, stories where I think the reporters uh, might have uh, set their, higher, their hair on fire prematurely. Uh, um, Best Buy technician gets 500 bucks and maybe becomes a con- confidential informant for the FBI and turns over to the FBI uh, child porn that he finds there. Uh, defense counsel for the guy with the child porn says that made him a an agent of the FBI and therefore his search required a warrant. Uh, uh, Michael, what do you think? Uh, I think there's there's an issue there, but we I don't we don't know enough from the reporting so far about the nature of the interaction between the FBI and the, the Best Buy technicians. Um, Specifically, what steps, if any, did the FBI take to direct the the manner in which the technicians search people's computers to look for child pornography? Um, if there was that sort of direction, then then I think there's a very strong argument that that it becomes a government search and is governed by the Fourth Amendment, including the requirement to get a warrant. If if it's short of that, if the, if these if Best Buy technicians just see themselves as doing a good public service and routinely turn things over to the FBI, then I think that that argument is a lot weaker and, and uh, the Fourth Amendment wouldn't apply. But from what I've read, we don't, we just don't know enough about the details of the interaction. Yeah, that's my guess too. Uh, I suspect the facts are not going to turn, you know, these things, these stories don't come out of nowhere. They come from defense counsel who put the best possible spin on it. Uh, so my guess is that the, when the facts come out, it might not be quite as, uh, Closer relationship. On the other hand, uh, you know, you you do sign a waiver saying, you know, yes, if 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 Best Buy Best Buy finds child porn on my computer, they're going to turn it over to law enforcement. I understand that. So you've already consented in some ways. Uh, that's bad news for the defendant. On the other hand, uh, I wonder if the FBI really has to tell the, the technician what to do if they just say. Essentially, every time you find some child porn on a guy's computer, we'll give you another 500 bucks. Uh, 
uh, he knows how to find. He probably knows better than the FBI how to find it. Uh, and so uh, if what you're worried about is people really working for the police uh, but not having warrants, uh, you know, that, that risk is here. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and, and as you say, I don't think they need a, a whole lot of specific direction. They, they, you know, they know how to search a hard drive uh, for for hidden things. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I think that you know the fact that the judge has called a hearing uh, on this uh, indicates that there's that there may be something there, but we'll just have to wait and see. So the the other thing where I thought uh, the uh, view the story was viewed with alarm and perhaps unnecessarily was the claim that uh, or the statement that NSA uh, now is sharing far more sensitive information with a whole host of people that the sharing of raw signals uh, intelligence has been expanded uh, um, and the reason I'm skeptical is I don't think there's been a punch that's been more telegraphed than this one. It's been in the works for years, uh, and my guess is it's it's happening now because you know the 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 people who want to do it all have a deadline of January 20, uh, uh, and they feel that it would be embarrassing to leave it undone after all the preliminary work that they've done. Um, Michael, have you? did you look at this when you, you probably looked at this when you were in government? Uh, um, NSA has a bunch of stuff that is not, that they collect and that they don't think has anything really valuable, so they don't turn it into a signals intelligence report, but they keep it for at least a period of time, and then they can go back and do searches on what they've collected if they learn about a new suspect or something of this sort. And other agencies have said, well, we want to do that too. Um, NSA always wanted to be protective of uh, civil liberties thought it did a better job than other agencies and wouldn't let them have access. This essentially does allow access to that uh, data for certain kinds of searches. Is that more or less it? Well, and I, and I think the, the, the issue here is that we're talking about raw signals intelligence as opposed to um, uh, polished NSA reports that remove the names of, of U.S. persons and, and any uh, sensitive uh, private details about them. Um, which NSA has in the past disseminated, but they've retained the, the raw intelligence. Now, other agencies can get the raw signals intelligence, but contrary to the reporting, the, the other agencies apparently have to request it in writing, and they have to they have to provide a whole bunch of information, including specifying how they're going to use the raw signals intelligence, the expected value of it, why other reasonably available sources can't provide the information. Um, who's going to look at it, how it's going to be processed and disseminated, how it's going to be safeguarded, all this, uh, you know, there's a lot of protections built in here. Um, and oh, now we've broken uh, the code. Now we've broken the code. If they had left it undone, somebody probably at the Justice Department was afraid that the new Justice Department would, would go through and mark it up and said, why are we imposing this requirement and that requirement and all the other requirements? Maybe we can simplify this, create fewer restrictions on people who want to conduct the searches. And they didn't want to leave this undone with that possibility uh, in the air. Uh, I, you know, I don't know that that's the motivation. I, I tend to doubt it. Um, I think these things just take a long time in the interagency process. And the other thing is, you know, once I saw how, uh, you know, rule-laden uh, this, this whole process is, it seemed to me that the, the other agencies didn't really 
potentially gain all that much access that they didn't already have. So <laughs> what was the big motivation for them to push for this? Um, you know, I, I could be could be misreading this, but but it seems to me that they're uh, this provides some more access, but uh, perhaps not a huge amount more. And and there are still so many rules that uh, I think I think there are a lot of protections in place. All right. Um, well. Uh, that completes our news roundup, and we're not going to do a um, uh, an interview this week. Uh, uh, I would like feedback on the question of the interviews, uh, uh, ideas that have occurred to me. Uh, maybe they should be a little shorter. Maybe we should try to keep them to 20 minutes instead of half an hour. Uh, maybe we should break them free of the news roundup because it would be easier for us to uh, do interviews if we didn't have to try to get people on our show at the same time same time. Uh, and generally, uh, uh, what do people think about the uh, uh, the interviews? Uh, I, I talked to at least one listener who said, uh, well, I always try to catch the news roundup and then I save the interview for later and it's very hard for me to get back to them. Uh, so um, your thoughts on um, whether we should be doing an interview every week, uh, whether it should be tied directly to the news roundup or float free, um, and how you feel about its uh, relative worth compared to the news roundup. Now for a feature we haven't tried before, but which I hope we'll try again, uh, actual live listener feedback uh, from Gus Hurwitz, who's an assistant professor of law and the co-director of space, cyber, and telecom law at uh, Nebraska College of Law, who uh, uh, sent me an email uh, with a correction about my disrespect of the uh, FTC. I'm not sure uh, whether it was the dissing or the, the factual error he was correcting. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I figured, well, why not call Gus and uh, get him to provide his correction live on the air? So, Gus, uh, uh, welcome to uh, uh, the uh, podcast. And I should say you are the first person who's going to get the uh, uh, commemorative and highly valuable uh, Stepto Cyber Law podcast uh, m- coffee mug with logo. So, uh, I do appreciate your getting on to talk about this. Okay, and I am thrilled about uh, all of that and always thrilled to be the inaugural something or other. <laughs> um, and I'd say that my correction is uh, a missed opportunity to pile on the dissing of the uh, FTC's efforts in this area. Oh, now you're making me really feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, in last week's podcast, uh, you had asked whether or not the FTC had ever said anything about the NIST framework, and the answer is they did. Back in August, they had, of course, in a blog post um, on their website, a, a discussion of the NIST framework comparing the FTC's data security enforcement actions to with the structure of the NIST framework and kind of doing a bit of a crosswalk, trying to say, hey, look, we're doing the same things that NIST says that you all should be doing. Um, so we're really doing good security work, and you should pay attention to both of us. And uh, my reading of the blog post is that uh, it's kind of a please pay attention to us. Um, please hold us in the same regard that folks hold NIST in regard to. Um, and I think the blog post does a really nice job demonstrating why you shouldn't do that. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they say that uh, hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. Uh, I thought there was a little of that in, uh, in the FTC's, uh, blog post, which I did go back and read. Uh, the, they, they worked awfully hard to say that what they were doing was the same thing. It, it was not entirely persuasive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they fundamentally misunderstand what the NIST framework is about. The NIST framework is perspective guidance that uh, firms and individuals can use to think about how to secure their systems. And the FTC's approach is, hey, if you want to figure out what you should do prospectively, you can go back and read 50 or 60 of our consent decrees and try and piece together good guidance, and good luck with that. Yeah, and and, and in terms of they 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 sort of nodded their head in the direction of the framework, but there was nothing in there that uh, said, in fact, they kind of missed many opportunities to say, yeah, if you follow the framework, you're good. Um, rather, they they seem to be saying, yeah, if you follow our guidance, you're good, and it looks a lot like the, fra- the, the framework. Uh, uh, so it was, as I said uh, 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 earlier, uh, um, it, an effort to say, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, we were here first and uh, we're still the best. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Gus, thank you so much for uh, calling in with us. Uh, and uh, uh, the uh, mug is in the mail. Okay, wonderful. Look forward to seeing it. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Okay, thanks to Gus Hurwitz uh, uh, for that. Uh, also to Michael Vadis, Stephanie Roy, and Maury Schenk. Uh, uh, the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast is open to feedback. Just send your comments to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com, and please uh, give us your thoughts on the interviews. Uh, uh, or you can go, if you just have nice things to say, say them on iTunes uh, or the other podcast aggregators. Those uh, reviews help us uh, get known to others. This has been Episode 146 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe & Johnson. Uh, we are looking forward to 2017. We're going to hear, hear from Corinne Stone, uh, who's the executive director of the National Security later this month. Uh, uh, and if you've got um, a guest interviewee to suggest, uh, uh, just remember that uh, if you uh, suggest somebody and they come on the show, uh, you too could be the owner of a coveted Stepto Cyber Law podcast mug. Uh, we hope you'll join us as we uh, uh, move into 2017, once again providing insights into the latest events in technology security privacy and government.